The psychedelic revolution is here. If you want to integrate your visionary experiences into your purpose, get clear on your entrepreneurial path and help people while you do what you love, then this podcast is for you. Welcome to The Psychedelic Entrepreneur, medicine for these times. I'm your host, Beth Weinstein. I'm a spiritual business coach, three-time entrepreneur, and a lifelong student of psychedelics and sacred plant medicine. You carry your own unique medicine, and your medicine is what we need for these times. This podcast will help you to share your medicine so you can create transformation in the world. Listen in on conversations with psychedelic leaders, change makers, and conscious entrepreneurs who are living proof that a better world is possible when you follow your heart and live in alignment with your soul. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am so happy to be reconnecting with an old friend and collaborator who I've worked with before, Michelle Hawk. Hi, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to continue the conversation. So good to have you back. Yeah, I was on uh, your podcast a few years ago, um, you know, getting into some controversy. I love it. It's my favorite. So <laughs> hopefully we'll revisit it here in this conversation. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know Michelle, I'll tell you a little bit about her. Michelle Hawk began practicing shamanism in 2003. Her core lineages come from Hungarian and Celtic shamanism. A naturally gifted psychic and intuitive channel, Michelle's work with alchemy, shamanic energies, and multiple certifications as a master healer allow her to offer the deepest level of transformational work. She mentors and trains practitioners in ethical shamanism, alchemy, and the healing arts and helps people master their intuitive gifts and magical birthright. She's also a host of the Shaman Sister Sessions podcast. Michelle, uh, you know, it was interesting before this, I said, oh, I always ask, you know, what's what's the path you were on or what you used to do? And you said, I didn't used to do anything. It was always this. I'm curious, you know, in that case, let's hear about, you know, growing up, you know, did you know at a very young age that you were a healer, that you were intuitive? And how did you actually come onto this path of shamanism and, and this kind of healing? Mm, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was one of those magical alien children, as I think all children are to a certain extent. And uh, fortunately, I grew up in an environment where my parents never told me that's bad or wrong. They just said, okay, that's nice. Or, well, what else is the dog saying? As I would be translating what the animals were saying or what the plants were saying around me, which is, we know, I was probably tuning in intuitively and connecting with the, the, the nature spirits. So when I was... Um, I think the first like quote healing spells I was doing when I was, I was probably about 11 or 12 years old. And, uh, and it just made sense to me because I was seeking out stories and reading material and, um, and, you know, using my imagination around magic and around animism. And so looking at what, you know, having the frame of reference that I do now, looking back at what I was really drawn to as a child was animistic practice and magical philosophy. So I was seeking out stories and uh, mythology, like indigenous, Turtle Island indigenous people mythology, but then also global mythology of, uh, you know, the fairy people and the animal spirits and the nature spirits and communing with magic. So that was always very attractive to me as a child. And then in 2003, I, so I was 15 or 16 years old, 
and I met some people who owned a clinic that they did Reiki at, and they said, oh, we're having this shamanic journey workshop. You're invited to come. So I went to a shamanic journey workshop at, you know, 15 years old, and it was like they were giving me a language to describe everything I already knew to be true. So I did this shamanic journey workshop and it was so easy for me and it was really effortless and it made sense. And it was, it was almost like they, for every one thing they told me, I remembered 10 more things. And it was the, the context and the vocabulary for the worldview that I already had. So I dove in and I kept studying, I kept practicing. I, I took many workshops with many different teachers. I eventually met the, uh, the teacher that I have been working with on and off since 2009, who is my, um, she's my core teacher and that lineage comes from Hungary. And, um, and then my other core lineage is from Celtic shamanism, but I've had many teachers over the years, many Turtle Island indigenous teachers from different nations. And, uh, you know, as we know, shamanism has kind of this pop culture association as being unique to Native Americans, and we know it's not. We know it is ubiquitous to all of humanity as an earth-based spiritual practice that, um, and while many many traditions might be similar or, or the same. Obviously, there are different flavors and nuances for different cultural expressions and interpretations of that. So um, we live, we have kind of a weird relationship with it here in the US. So I feel like part of what I'm doing as, as a shamanic practitioner, as a shaman of, you know, been studying and practicing for 20 years now, and uh, having been initiated in a core lineage and working with a mentor for 14 years, part of what I feel like I'm doing is I'm re-educating re and reframing people's relationship to shamanic practice, especially now as we are coming into this I don't know if it would be the second psychedelic renaissance, right? But this like whole return of of psychedelic practice to more of a forefront of common culture or like popular awareness and then bringing shamanic practice into that and kind of rewriting a lot of what people think it is and um, and helping people relate to it in an ethical and integrous way because there's so much of shamanic practice that we see in the world that is not in integrity and that is extractive and appropriative and causes a lot of harm. <sighs> it's very exciting. Yeah, no, this is a, it's, it's exciting to be alive at this time and to be able to dive into this. Um, you know, because I, I want to ask you some, some practical questions about, you know, having this as a business and being a healer. But I would also love to know, just because I'm, I'm my own curiosity, I'm curious, you know, how is your lineage of um, Hungarian-centered shamanism different than, say, what maybe I would know, um, working with, uh, shamanism that's based in, let's say, you know, like South American lineage mm -hmm. or, um, you know, like a different kind of shamanic practitioner that has done like a solo retrieval with me or whatever. Like, how are they, how are they different? Yeah. So let's remember that shamanism is contextual, like inherently, and shamanism is relational. So as an earth-based spiritual practice, it is, uh, all of the unique manifestations that we see between all of the different cultures are really dependent upon the the ecology. Like shamanism is spiritual ecology because we have to remember that unlike other spiritual traditions, so let's imagine, for example, like working with galactic energies or working with, um, you know, like hermetic mysticism, like that is 
I, I would call more like upper chakra work where it's like, you know, it's geographically independent. You can do it from anywhere and it doesn't really make a difference. And it's, you know, you're working with these spirit entities, like upper world spirit entities. But shamanism is inherently working with the body and with the earth and with the elements and the animals and the nature spirits and the land, like necessarily as a function of an earth-based spiritual practice. So the cosmology of, for example, like a, you know, South American lineage where, you know, we see very commonly calling upon the condor or calling upon, you know, for the particular mountains or the particular plants local to that area, it would be completely different in another part of the world where they're working with, say, for example, like the the reindeer people, like the Sami people, right, where there is also a very strong shamanic mm -hmm. tradition. Yet for them, they have completely different nature spirit cosmology that they're orienting toward and drawing from. So we really, we must remember that sh shamanism is contextual. And that's part of where I see, again, going back into like ethical shamanic practice and what it means to be an in integrity in our practice. Part of that is knowing that some practices are similar or the same across the board. Like you mentioned, soul retrieval, that is, I would consider a sort of a pan-culturally present shamanic practice that I have seen in many different lineages um, or working with, for example, like fire spirits, right? Like, you know, fire is a, a very strong element across cultures in shamanic practice. And yet working with the local plants like ayahuasca, for example, is really unique to tribes in the Amazon. And whereas if you go to, again, to use the Sami as an example, right, like they have, they're working with Amanita muscaria, right, and in the reindeer urine. And so they have different medicines and even like non-psychoactive medicines, right? So cacao is another example of a really strong plant medicine or, or all of these different um, medicinal relationships that they have with the nature spirits are completely localized. So again, there's going to be a lot of crossover mm -hmm. in terms of like working with the directions is really common cross-culturally, working with um, a below and above worlds, working with soul retrieval, working with the ancestors, working with um, different manifestations of of deities like you know if you're near the ocean you probably have an ocean deity that you're working with or water deities if you're working with the mountains you have mountain deities or stone nation or stand you know with the trees with the standing nation people right and so there are, are these very like similar parallels across the board but the uniqueness comes from the context and that is irreplaceable so then we look at, okay, if you're going to study with or to practice with a tribe in the Amazon, for example, some of those practices absolutely will translate when you come back home to the US or wherever you happen to be. And some of them won't because you'll be in a completely different context. Thank you for clearing that up. And I, I love it. I'm shaking my head because, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm blessed enough to work with, um, you know, mostly like what one would call indigenous, which by the way, the the people that I work with are actually mestizo, which is not, you know, it's a mix. Um, but, you know, the, the, let's say North, North American facilitators who I have sat with um, have always brought in, you know, the, the context of where we're sitting, meaning like, okay, this isn't just a medicine ceremony with ayahuasca. We are actually bringing in, um, you know, a lot of the Native American practices, the medicine songs, you know, the certain, um, you know, ways of holding the ceremony because that is native to the land I'm, I'm sitting on, you know. Um, 
So I think it is actually really important to bring this up. And I love this, that you're distinguishing this and sharing it with everyone. Um, Mm -hmm. So I want to get into more of the actual shamanic work you do. But before we get into that, I always love to know, you know, you were doing this from 2003 onward, 20 years. And I'm sure, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, it was, I mean, you're on the West Coast, maybe it was a little more accepted and welcome. But, you know, a lot of people struggle with this idea of like, well, how can I actually make a living as a healer or as a shamanic healer or, um, you know, doing this work that maybe the mainstream doesn't really accept yet or it's getting there now. But, you know, 10, 15 years ago, maybe it wasn't, right? How did you grow your business and how did you make this, you know, actually support you? Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, what are some ups and downs and any stories about how it's been? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's plenty, been plenty of that. It's been quite an adventure. So uh, when I started my practice, I also remember I was a teenager. So I was still in high school while I was beginning my shamanic studies. And then I went to university. And at that time, I was also... Uh, investigating and training in energy healing practices, working on channeling and mediumship. So I was in the science department getting my degree in biology alongside all of these pre-med people who were very like type A, go to med school. And here I was suggesting maybe meditation and consciousness practice has a role to play in modern medicine. And all of my classmates, I I remember just like the feeling of rejection over and over of like, oh my gosh, you're crazy. Like there's no way. And, um, you know, and and my degree in animal physiology and behavior, I was uh, looking at doing some research on, um, I think the first project I suggested was around like the effect of meditation or consciousness practice on the growth of plants. And which, you know, seems like that seems like a very easy to measure thing. Like in my mind, that's like, oh, a very straightforward practice. And yet that was rejected as being unquantifiable at the time. And so then I ended up doing, I know, right. I look at that. I'm like, it's very quantifiable. (laughs) And, um, but then I went and I did my research in Costa Rica and hummingbird foraging behavior. And that was super fun. And it was, you know, a very, it was more like quote, sciencey appropriate at the time. And I didn't have to Um, to push really hard to have this emerging body of knowledge that made total sense to me be accepted at the level of academia that, you know, that I don't know if it was ready for it. And and I think there were certainly people in in certain departments that were much, much more attuned to that. So I was taking some courses in the psych department on alternative health and medicine. And oh my gosh, I loved that class and the professor. Um, you know, really had a big impact on me. I actually emailed her not all that long ago, like a couple of years ago and say, hey, here's what I'm doing now. And she invited me to teach a lecture in her class and then COVID happened. So it didn't happen. But um, yeah, but it's been an interesting throughout my entire life, especially in the early years, being in high school and being in university and being really shunned for these practices that I was speaking about and trying to bring into the conversation. And so when I started my business, I actually started it 
while I was still in university because people kept wanting to pay me for my work. And at the time I was working exclusively with animals. I was doing animal communication work and I was doing um, energy healing work with animals and, and also doing some shamanic journey practice, but not, I wasn't advertising any of this. People just found me because I would do sessions for a few people and then they would tell everyone and then they would contact me and say, will you please do me a session? I would love to pay you. So I, I started my business as sort of a like, okay, fine, like, sure, I will, I will take your money to do this thing. And then I went and lived in Spain for a while and people kept reaching out to me over Skype. Will you please do this session with me over Skype? And will you please work on my dog or my horse is sick? Or I, I'm wondering if my cat needs help with end of life, will you please help me? And um, so I did. And then I came back to the US and people kept asking. And so I was like, all right, I guess what happens if I put some attention on this? And what happens if I lean into this? And so I pursued that and I started teaching Reiki and I started expanding my work with humans as well because enough people were saying, well, you're doing this healing work with my dog. Can you do a healing session for me? So I, I honestly, every single thing that I was resistant to was what people were asking me for. I was like, oh, fine, I'll work with people. And then, but I don't want to teach. <laughs> oh, fine, enough people are asking me to teach them, so I'll do that. Oh, fine, I'll, I'll you know, teach shamanism. Like, I, I wasn't actually interested in doing any of this for other people at first. It just kept being asked of me over and over and over and over. So that is how I got into doing this as my business, is people just kept asking and asking and asking until finally I realized that all of these resistance points that I had were exactly where I was being called and invited to deepen and to commit and to serve. So eventually I just, I don't remember exactly when that surrender really happened. I just decided, okay, I'm in. I keep, you keep asking me and obviously the, the invitation is here and people keep pulling this out of me. So I will let it go and I will say yes to this and it will be the thing. <laughs> These are my favorite stories. It's a lot like mine too, where it was like, what? Yeah. Is this even a thing? People pay for this? And really just saying yes to that call, which, you know, I mean, I'm sure you would agree at some point that it's this soul's path that sometimes you know, we're in the, we're in our own way. You know, I said no to multiple things until it was kind of like, oh, maybe yeah. this just keeps coming to me because of something else that I don't even see. Yep. And I really now, I'm, I mean, I'm sure you as well, I'm always on this path of like, I don't know what's next. I mean, who knows? Mm -hmm. It's because the pull never ends. You know, I don't believe that we're just like, stop and that's it. There's no more expansion. Yeah. So I love hearing these kind of stories because there's, there's so many people listening that I know feel that and then you know the the logical ego mind gets in the way that's like but how do I make money or how am I going to survive or mm -hmm. um you know how is this even possible but there's, that's why there's support out there including people like us <laughs> exactly and I mean honestly like so there's, let's, there's a little bit of that yeah. too and that's always going to be there but I think that that's the part that I one of the biggest learning curves that I have had is to really lean into and embrace the uncertainty because it is this work exists beyond me 
this work has a life force and a life path and purpose all its own. And I am here as a student and a steward of this work. And so my just recently, I mean, you were asking me about the ups and downs in this practice and about that trust. The, the most recent growth edge is that my work asked me kind of at the end of last year, beginning of this year to take a break from my alchemy course that I developed. That's my year long intensive apprenticeship training program that I love that is very thorough and, you know, I have all the materials worked out for and I've run it several times and I have multiple apprentices graduated from this course. Like it's very, it's set and it's good. So from the like quote, typical business perspective, it actually doesn't make any sense for me to step away from this. But the calling is so strong of shamanism needs to be front and center for right now. So you need to take a break from I Am Alchemy. It needs a rest and it'll be there whenever you're ready. I know it, it's there. It's ready for whenever I am supposed to come back to it. But right now, shamanic practice is asking so strongly and I'm like getting hot as I'm talking about this. It's like burning me up that it needs to be front and center for for the purpose of where we are at collectively in our emergent consciousness right now and in returning to earth-based practices and ethical practices based in animistic consciousness front and center so that is what and yeah i have chills right now so you know it's good when you're like sweating and shaking and it's like this is the thing that is being asked of me and how could i say no when it's that clear of course i say yes exactly yeah I am so glad you brought this up. So many of my clients are going through this right now and including me, you know, and it's like I, I've always, thank God, just been so attuned to those messages. Sometimes they take a while to answer or like, what? But then it's like the more they happen, the more you can just say, oh, okay, there's something else coming through. There's something else that is being asked. And and if you're really truly on this path of being in service, you know, you put aside the ego that's that's uncertain because really what is certain these days? I mean, what was ever certain? There's nothing that's certain. Um, and yeah, I have a lot of clients going through this where it's, I mean, quite literally, um, you know, in the last couple of years, like therapists that are like, I am not even called to do therapy anymore. It's like something bigger, mm -hmm. something more of service. So this is a, a natural part of entrepreneurship. And I just want to point it out. It's so important to listen because as you say, it's always something something bigger that wants to be birthed for the greater good of all, including ourselves. So let's talk about this ethical shamanism. I actually have, I don't think I've heard anybody mention that before. And I'm curious, um, what does this mean? I mean, obviously, I definitely know about um, unethical things that have happened in not just the shamanic healing realm, the psychedelic realm, but honestly... Um, all aspects of, of healing and coaching and, and honestly, like all of humanity, um, it's, yeah. there's a lot of, uh, questionable ethics. And I think there's a lot of sides to it as well as like this, this idea that, okay, well, all humans have shadows. Let's get that straight, like from day one. And then how do we talk about ethics? But mm -hmm. I'm curious, is that what ethical shamanism is? And what is this message you have around it? I'm curious. Yeah, uh, thank you. First of all, this is huge territory and we're barely gonna scratch the surface a little yeah. bit here. 
Uh, secondly, I do, I know it's like, oh my God, how long can, how long can we talk about this? Um, in, uh, you referenced the, the podcast that, that I have that you were on. And actually we do have a few episodes related to some of the pieces that you were talking about, about abuse and narcissism and, um, and manipulation and cults in the spiritual community. So if people are curious in hearing more about that aspect of it, they can go check those out. That's Shaman Sister Sessions is, uh, is my podcast. And there's a few of those episodes. So we do have, when we're talking about ethical shamanism, yes, of course we have, there's a scale, right? And on one end of the scale that these episodes that I referenced were are talking about was, um, you know, it's like people, um, you know, scamming money out of their clients and um, manipulating or um, taking sexual advances or sexual harm caused, um, you know, psychological harm caused, initiating, you know, there's like, there's a lot of territories there, like initiating people into really psychically harmful lineages that have all sorts of, and this is just like energetic sloppiness where they have entity attachments or energetic implants, psychic attacks. Um, you know, again, there's huge territory on the spectrum of how people can be out of integrity in their practice, right? And again, some of it comes from deliberate intention to cause harm. Some of it comes from maliciousness. Some of it comes from just being sloppy. So there is that kind of end of the spectrum. When I'm talking about ethical shamanism, obviously we're talking about like, well, don't have sex with your clients and don't scam money out of your clients. Like all, all of that is, very, I know that's very common sense, but there is also the aspect you of- thing. <laughs> One would think, one would hope, and um, and we do also just um, we just released an episode on um, how to recover from practitioner abuse because actually as a result of one of the previous episodes that we recorded, I had so many people reaching out to me saying I've been in a situation like what you described. Will you please help me? I was like, oh my god. I'm so glad that we put this out and also I'm just horrified that this is a thing. So then we recorded a follow-up of how to recover from practitioner abuse. So if you have been in that situation, um, you know, you speaking to all of you listening right now, or if you know anyone who has, then I, we do have some resources specifically about that. But when I'm referring to ethical shamanism, a lot of what I'm talking about is like, you know, let's be real. The vast majority of practitioners are not out to cause harm. They're not out to take advantage of people that, you know, it's a few bad apples who are, you know, tainting the waters, right? But most people, if they're out of integrity in their practice, it's because they don't know any better. And it's because they don't actually have the foundation for what it means to be ethical and integrous in their shamanic practice. When I, when we started the episode and you asked me just about, about my shamanic practice and, or we talked about the, um, like what's different, for example, between Hungarian shamanism and um, Amazonian shamanism, right? I was talking about shamanism is contextual. And a lot of people don't know that that's a thing, right? A lot of people imagine you go to a medicine circle, you go to an ayahuasca circle that is led by a particular group of people that has their own medicine songs, that has their own prayers, that has their own deities. Most of the shamanic traditions that you might participate in as someone who's going to pay to either be a part of a ceremony, and, and we're talking like in this case, I'm using specifically the example of medicine work since that's really emergent in our conversation, right? So if you're paying to go to an ayahuasca ceremony, 
they're not actually explaining anything to you. You go, you show up, you participate, you observe, you might sing along, and then you go home. They're not actually teaching you. And so then it is really inappropriate to be saying, okay, now I've been to a ceremony or I've been to a handful of ceremonies. And so I'm going to do these practices, right? Because either I think that that's the way that it's supposed to be done because that's the only exposure I've had, or because I'm modeling after what these other people are doing most or, but like people don't even know what they mean. Honestly, like if you generally speaking, we we live in this weird convergence of and i'm speaking myself as a white person obviously if you're on video um who is trained in many different practices of shamanic practice my primary lineages are european but i do have a lot of training from turtle island indigenous people and non-white practitioners but I live in the US, and so looking at my context, my context is I am a white person of middle class privilege, upbringing, and education. And the resources that I have access to put me in this unique position of being Western educated, living in, you know, having access to the internet, having access and, and kind of the cultural conditioning around open source knowledge and being able to find out things and being able to read WikiHow articles on whatever I want. And um, and having this in the West, we have this weird entitlement to knowledge. And if you look at most other cultures, and especially the cultures that we're, we're learning these practices from, is completely different. Like the relationship to tradition and knowledge and secrecy and privacy and, uh, and non-cognitive explanation is completely different. So you can go to ceremony and, and really like inherently the irony that we're even talking about shamanic practice on the internet over video is inherently ironic. Like we do have to acknowledge that. Like this is weird and it is out of context, right? Like ideally we would be sitting together out in nature in person drinking, you know, drinking some tea and listening to the birds and feeling the dirt on our feet, right? Like that is how we are meant to engage with these teachings. So if you go to a ceremony, they're not going to explain it to you because that's not the tradition. It's you show up and you shut up and you observe and you learn that way. No one will ever explain it to you. Just You just learn by being there. And that is how wisdom traditions have been largely passed down through these wisdom keeper lineages. Even in my lineage, like my, you know, my lineage that it comes from Europe, like it is the same thing of like, they're not actually telling you these things so much as you just show up over and over and over and you observe and you be quiet and you listen and you do it again and again and again. And you learn by this osmotic, intuitive integration rather than the Western model of you sit there and someone explains it to you exactly. And you get the step-by-step instructions of here's a checklist on how to run an ayahuasca ceremony. And here's the timing. Here's the, the, the time schedule of when to do this and when to invoke these deities. And here's the exact words that you have to say that does not exist. That's not a thing. And so then for people who don't have that context and that understanding and that the ability to listen, then they go into ceremony and we're applying the Western colonizer, individualist, entitled mindset that 
all of us are conditioned with. This is a function of the system that we live in, of a system of oppression that is built on these foundations. We're applying that mindset to a completely different like completely different context and taking this tradition and filtering it through the modern Western colonizer mindset and then regurgitating it out into that system, the system of oppression that we are conditioned and cultured in that then says, oh, I've sat X number of ayahuasca ceremonies. That must mean I'm qualified to serve. Absolutely not, right? Absolutely not. Or I've been to X number of shamanic journey workshops. That must mean like I've done it a few times. I can walk someone else through how to journey for their animal guide. That is, there's a lot. And now I'm like getting really hot again for different reasons. I'm like, you know, just irritated by by the system that we live in, you know, obviously. And there's this weird permission for that because that is part of the system that we live in. And because the cultural conditioning that we all have is about if I pay for that knowledge, it belongs to me. Imagine if you go to university, you are paying for a degree and you get a piece of paper with your name on it that says you are qualified to do X, Y, Z. Right. And so then we live in this society that says that's OK. Oh, you go take a class. That means you know how to do it. But then that doesn't work when we apply it to these mystery traditions and these these lineage traditions that are rich and nuanced and exist completely outside of the cultural conditioning that we have. That's just a start about ethical. Shaman. I am so glad you brought this. Yeah, no, this is totally, and it's so funny. I just asked someone about this um, on la last week's podcast who has been um, serving medicine for, you know, 25 years and mm -hmm. was very much initiated in um, through the actual, like, you know, calling from the plants and, you know, didn't, was told and actually denied it for a while. I mean, this is the path of the people that I sit with. That's that's the way. It's like unless you're told by the plants what you're here to do, i.e., pour ayahuasca. Like you're not to pour ayahuasca, no matter, no matter how many times you know it might come through your ego in a ceremony. Which is the question I asked. I'm like, why is it that people do mushrooms once and then want to go give it to everybody? You know, and I I do. It's funny because I've never actually had that calling myself, but I can see where the Western ego. Um, especially when people have such big experiences, right? Like they go to a shamanic journeying session and they're like, whoa, I had a bear come at me and then I had this instant healing and this flash of energy. I want to share this with so many people. You know, there is that that very like des that desire, but um, it's kind of like me and you, our stories. It's like, I didn't even know this was a thing until it was pounding on me over and over and over and over and over and then I finally didn't even say yes. I got curious. I only got curious for years, mm -hmm. you know, and and you're right. And it's funny because I have um, I actually did a Facebook live about this a few months ago where I actually gave someone back their money because there was zero integrity when it came to, um, you know, the medicine space. And not only that, it was like zero experience, zero integrity. And and really was coming from this place of like, well, and she actually said, I'm paying you. Therefore, and I was like, that's actually what, by the way, that was 10 minutes into our first conversation and I was thrown over the edge and I'm like, you know what? 
here's how it really goes. <laughs> like, and I, I, you know, with love and compassion, like kind of gave her a, a little schooling on it. I'm like, I don't care about your money because if you have zero respect for this lineage and these, these plants and like this, this ancestral medicine, whether it's shamanic healing or working with, you know, any kind of psychedelic doesn't make a difference. It's, it's a whole other realm we're talking about. And you're also here to help people, you know, like you're interacting with human energy fields and it has to become this embodied practice. Like you mentioned, it's, um, I mean, we're going through this when we're, um, in the psychedelic world, a lot of these training programs have come up, especially out where you live in Oregon. And, um, it's kind of an interesting thing. It's, there's, you know, not a lot of actual embodied work going on. A lot of it's just like, okay, well let's teach, how you can give someone mushrooms. And it's like, wow, really? Is that something you learn in a six-month program that's mostly like studying and not experiential and embodied? <laughs> so we'll and, see. I keep saying, I'm like, not well, my way. We'll see. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I have so many reservations about this, but then also looking at like, what are what are the person's energetic qualifications in terms of the ability to regulate and attune to their own system. Because when, as soon as you're getting into medicine work, right, there's this whole other aspect that how long has like Western pharmacology, psychopharmacology been around like a hundred something years, right? Versus like the thousands and thousands of years of these, yeah, of these wisdom traditions, right? And the, the ability to, again, looking at like the Western clinical therapeutic model as individualistic, extractive, cognitive based, like non non somatic. I just learned, I think it was in in the 70s or 80s, like before the 70s or 80s, it was considered unnecessary to talk about emotions in psychotherapy. Can you imagine? Right? Like they only I just learned that the other day. I was like, that's ridiculous. And so up and talk about I know, seriously, like uh dreams and psychoanalysis and Oedipan fantasies. I don't know. But like (laughs) the fact that it was only, what was that, 50 years ago, that 40 or 50 years ago that they started acknowledging, oh, it might actually be necessary to talk about emotions in a psychotherapeutic context. Like we are modern Western culture or like medicine is so behind the times, like so archaic. And then we have these very subtle and nuanced and advanced traditions that focus that are, you know, for them, it's very integrated of energetic mastery and regulation and animistic consciousness and looking at, you know, so what you were talking about, Beth, of like, you know, I, of participating in medicine ceremonies. And it's like people have such a profound experience that they immediately evangelize it and have this, like, I have to become a practitioner. And yet if we look at, again, the context of medicine in a, in a community, in a, in a tribe or in a system or a culture where it's actually kind of normal for people to have these animistic experiences where they feel connected, they, you know, where ceremony is instead of a like the pathology model that we have in our modern western context of there is something wrong with me and i have trauma and i'm going to go take this medicine as a silver bullet panacea to fix it right because fix me fix me fix me instead we look at in a in a shamanic devotional ceremonial context medicine work is a community resourcing event 
where it is people, it's a normal part where everybody participates or the, you know, all the people in the community participates and they have this experience for the purpose of creating energy or for the purpose of collective healing or honoring the ancestors or honoring a particular deity on a feast day, for example. And then they all go back to their lives and none of them are like, oh my God, I need to be a shaman. There's like one shaman plus, you know, their apprentices or whatever. And they're the person or the people who are facilitating the event and they have their, the guides who are supporting and the community is showing up for the purpose of devotion to participate because it is a normal and culturally accepted context that they live in, where we as our community are showing up to pray together, to have this experience together and it's integrated as part of the culture. And so I think for, you know, to, to look at, well, why do people feel this? Oh my gosh, I had such a meaningful experience. That means I have to be a shaman. I have to be a practitioner. I have to go study for it. And I think it's because we're missing the context. So people finally receive something that they're so hungry for. They receive that connection. They receive that belonging and the, and the feeling of like, almost getting out of the center of their own consciousness and letting letting themselves dissolve into the collective and feeling what it's like to to have this animistic worldview where everything is alive and life is life begets life and life loves you and feeling how much life loves you and wanting to have access to that in a deeper way and wanting to support other people to have access to that i get it i get the appeal but not everyone who does medicine work needs to serve it. Not everyone who does a shamanic workshop needs to be a shaman. It can just be for you. It can just be for your practice. And then you integrating it and being that every day and supporting other people in your life just through the radiance of your own being and your own connection. We are the medicine for the world. We in our beingness are the medicine. And that can be enough. And I know we've all had these experiences yeah. of, of being out in the world and, and having these magical moments, like without any plant medicines at all, just having these magical moments of connection and belonging. Maybe you're like talking with somebody at the gas station or at the grocery store and they just say the right thing and you say the, the thing that feels really right and you're like smiling at each other and you see the divinity in each other and you just feel so uplifted. We've all had those moments. That is the medicine. And when we normalize that, we will feel less of that. It, it'll, we won't be as hungry for it when we get it in ceremony, because then you can receive the plant medicine and say, wow, that's really beautiful. I really love that. I'm so glad that happened and it exists. And also I understand that just because it's a really meaningful and powerful experience for me, it doesn't mean that I need to serve it. Because like you said, we wait for the call. You know, I, I serve mushrooms. I, that was another thing that I was really resistant to for a very long time, but they kept asking and asking and asking and asking. So it is through the repeated invitation of this plant medicine. That is the only medicine that I serve currently. And that will be the only medicine that I serve until or if I get an invitation from another medicine. And if I ever stop receiving that permission and invitation from the mushrooms, I will stop serving them. But if it is asked of me, after years of hemming and hawing and deliberating, I did finally say yes to that. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, you bring up such a good point. It's funny because I've had this conversation a bunch in the last just in the last few weeks around, um, you know, what is at the deeper what's the deeper layers underneath this this desire to want to give back? And like you mentioned, you know, when you're in this medicine space, your your worldview shifts for many people, not for everybody, meaning some people already come in there with that worldview and that's great. But then you know, maybe you're experiencing this level of connection or this deeper meaning or understanding or the, the you know, the, the healing um, that you want to then see for everybody on planet Earth. Like you said, the evangel- evangelistic, right? Like, um, I want to tell everybody, I want to give it to everybody, I need to bring all my friends here. And there is some aspect of that, like, hey, great, like, share your stories, share your light, you know, like you said, um, run into someone at the grocery store and smile. And that is, that is you changing the world. That is you transforming. But I think at the deeper root of what I've seen over the years of, of what's underneath that desire to then just go give everybody mushrooms is where is there actually, um, this, this disconnection in your overall life on a consistent basis that's giving you that feeling of not having meaning, of not having a purpose. You know, I hear this one a lot. It's like, I want to find my purpose. What is the purpose? Especially the last few years. I think a lot of people are questioning, why am I here during this crazy time in history? You know, and I think there is this, um, especially, you know, just here in the Western, in the U.S., um, there is this deeper sense of not having meaning in lives. And I think, you know, at the root of what's underneath like um, the the ego part that wants to then go heal everybody or serve mushrooms or whatever it is, you know, there's actually something beneath that, which is like, well, let's look at this disconnection from yourself, from source and earth that is maybe the underlying foundational piece that's missing. And I'm, I'm curious, you know, um, you would probably agree with me on some level. And I'm sure you see this in your clients around like people craving meaning and purpose and fulfillment. What do you think is at the root here and like what's causing this like what because we're I believe we're seeing it everywhere on earth right now absolutely I I feel like inherently the quest for purpose is like an externally motivated question right because it's like if you know if we're looking at well what is my purpose it's almost like transposing on top of that it's almost like we're asking what is my justification the justification for my life what is the reason that i deserve to be here rather than what because when we think about what's the opposite of that right the opposite of that is presence the opposite of that is actually being awake in our own lives and being really alive like you know really deeply alive and when i say that i mean like aware and connected and resourced and and attuning to the again the animistic worldview where we're celebrating and feeling the resonance of that aliveness in our bodies and in the animals and in the air and in the land and the the trees right because when we feel that connection we don't ask well what is my purpose when we feel that connection and we're actually awake in our own lives that's when again like we hear when we're listening closely we hear the invitations from spirit and from the world when we are have when we have the voices in our mind quiet enough when we are attuned enough to the subtle fluctuations of energy we can perceive where is energy asking to flow 
And how can I, as a collaborator, understanding like, you know, let me also contextualize. When I say I'm a shaman, I don't mean that I am doing the healing. I don't mean that I am having any special role other than knowing perhaps a few more things than the person does that I'm talking with, right? But it is, again, a contextual relational practice of collaboration, right? It's like consent where we're, you know, we have consent from the spirits and from like, like we're talking about with the the mushroom spirits or the plant medicines, right? We have consent and invitation from these spirit allies and from all of the spirit allies, from the nature spirits, from the land spirits, from the, um, the spirits I'd mentors, everyone that we are participating with, we have consent and permission. We have context, meaning we have grounded, empowered, healthy, active relationships with the nature spirits and the allies that we are working with and living with on a consistent basis and the land spirits where we live and the the plants that are living where we live, right? So we have the context and we have collaboration, right? When we have consent and we have the context, the contextual relationship, then we can collaborate. And that as a practitioner is what I'm doing is I'm collaborating with all of these forces, these animistic forces that are external to me that are consciousness in and of themselves that have their own purpose, their own way of being. And their purpose, it's not a justification for their being. The purpose, imagine the purpose of a flower is not to justify its beingness there. It is simply to live its life. That is its purpose. And so when we are bringing, when we're listening and bringing these, all of these purposes together, the purpose is just to live. It is just to be. But the only way that we can actually do that is when we are attuned and awake and present and can actually feel our own aliveness and feel the aliveness in all things. And as soon as we start to feel that, that question goes away, right? Because then it's no longer, how do I need to just, what do I need to do externally of myself to justify my being on this planet? Instead, it's how am I listening to the invitations for collaboration with how aliveness wants to flow through me as a vessel to express itself in the world? How does the the one mind of creation want to move through me as one part of this infinite constellation of dance of creation to express itself? How does consciousness seek to know itself through me? And that is purpose. Not what is the checklist that I need to fulfill to justify my existence on this planet. Exactly. It's so funny because I just talked about this yesterday with my clients where I said, you know, there's so many people desiring this sense of purpose, right? But in the end, and this is my first prescription, is to just slow down. Because I think one of the, the the issues is our society, I mean, again, speaking from a Western U.S. perspective here, is everybody just so busy. There's so much noise, so much distraction. People are going and no one has that listening. I mean, honestly, you know, presence is, is our like most scarce commodity, it seems right now, right? Like you can't even go to a restaurant without seeing people sitting at tables on their phones with each other. You know, it's like, where's the presence? And, and I always say, like, look, you just have to, like, slow it down enough to allow it to come through. 
And I think that's where there's this, there's a sense, again, this is this cultural um, programming, like the sense of like, I must know, or I must have, I must, you know, like go after, um, which, you know, I've, I've been kind of diving into this, this notion of like, it's this gigantic scarcity of like, well, we only live in this incarnation once and not from the larger perspective of our soul. And really, like, I think when people start living from the soul-based perspective of like, well, we have, there is no scarcity. We have all the eternal time, quote unquote, in the world. Mm -hmm. And really it is about that presence and aliveness. And it's, it's so interesting because, and you also mentioned this earlier, there's so many people turning to, let's say, medicines or psychedelics, um, different kinds of medicine work, looking for that quick fix, that magic bullet that will just tell them. I mean, there's, you know, and no criticism, no judgment. Everybody has their own path. But, you know, you can go now on a $10,000 ayahuasca retreat to find your purpose. You know, it's like, well, the medicine is not going to just give it to you. I mean, if it does, how much of this is our ego and how much of it is truth? And and that's, you know, like, again, it still takes that same quieting down and listening. And it's it's been kind of, I find it amusing and fascinating because I do, I pray that, you know, it's going to be kind of this messy, bumpy ride for people to just, you know, for humanity to get to the the path of least resistance, which is just to be, like you said, like being, I actually use that a lot, um, the rose, like the rose is not blooming, feeling um, like she's not doing enough or she's missing a petal. So now she's not good enough. And now she can't go after her dreams because she's smaller than the rest of the, the rose, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, and and, she and blooms, it's so prevalent. And, you know, she blooms at her own pace. And if you try to go in and pry the petals open, you're going to mess it up. You're going to destroy it. So let, you know, it, it will naturally <laughs> unfold. And allow it to unfold and allow yourself that same generosity and curiosity. Yeah. So beautiful. I have one more quick kind of like slightly off topic question before we um, before we get into your work and where to find you. Um, but, you know, this is something that's been kind of coming through me lately. And I've, I've talked to other people about it, about this this notion of all of us alive right now. I mean, I think there's there's a desire to want to help, right? Like people are having their spiritual awakenings. People are, um, you know, coming into themselves and having these uh, very profound experiences, whether with or without medicines. Maybe it's just through meditation. Maybe it's just, you know, the energies of today. And there's this desire to give back. And I, I've talked to someone recently where I said, look, like, you, it's like you are doing it just by being you as a human living on earth at this time. I believe we're all here as channels, you know, for, for the evolution, for the healing, for the, the growth into this new consciousness. Um, and I'm curious, you know, from your perspective as a shamanic practitioner and healer, you know, what would you say to this? Like, cause I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm completely wrong, but I, I can actually feel it coming through me a lot more than ever the last like five, six years where it's like, like I get a lot of physical, actual um, energy, you know, energies moving through me and I don't make any story of it. I'm just like, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, like my prayer every day is like, use me as a vessel. I don't really care what it takes. You know, I'm kind of at that point in my life where it's like, whatever you want, I'm just here in service. But, you know, what do you, what do you think of this, especially for people who want to help out and want to make a difference? Mm-hmm. What do I think about how people can give back and allow themselves to serve? 
Yeah, or like this notion or this notion of just being, you know, like we're all on some level like vessels for healing or vessels for transformation or vessels, yeah. you know, for birthing the the new earth or whatever is happening on earth, you know. Like do you believe that? Is that is that true do you think? Or- oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I definitely think that, you know, there is no one correct way to serve just because again, if we look at removing the question of well, what is my purpose, right? Because well, when we be, then that sort of presupposes the question of purpose because we're being, right? So then the same question can, or we can look at that through the lens of, well, when we are being, we are serving through our beingness because, you know, let's look at what that does is like when we are allowing ourselves to be, like to truly be, to be alive, to be awake in our lives, what we are doing is we are adopting, I'm going to use, like impose some technical language upon this mystical concept here for a moment. We are adopting animistic worldview because through our own aliveness, we are connecting to the aliveness in all things. And when we have animistic worldview, we are inherently also adopting the um and cultivating the qualities of empathy and compassion because well if i am alive and all things are alive then i can feel the aliveness in all things so i want to support the aliveness in all things because i am connected to that so by you know looking at um i think even when i uh you know when you and i were talking about well what are we going to talk about on this episode um i said something about like the words that keep coming up whenever my guides are talking to me are ethical shamanism and animus animism right so animism is really that way of how do we participate we participate by the aliveness in ourselves and in all things and then from that our natural inclination is going to be to support that because we feel it. So from listening, you know, and being really present and then also allowing like, however that happens in your zone of genius. So I, I had my um, my final alchemy apprentice, actually, I, I told you I'm kind of putting that on rest for now, but she was here just um, last weekend. So whenever this is released, you know, it might've been a few weeks ago at this point, but um, she was just here and she is not a practitioner, but she is a many, many year student of spiritual practice. And she did this apprenticeship with me and she's been working with me for a long time. And we talked about that because she said, you know, I used to judge myself for not wanting to do this or not feeling the call to do this as a practitioner. And she currently works in academia. She works in criminal justice, right? And I I was like, oh my gosh, I want you to keep doing what you're doing, no matter what the manifestation of that is. But within your zone of genius, you don't have to be a practitioner in order to serve. We need people who are not spiritual practitioners, who are not healers, who are not shamans to do that in the world, in their zone of genius, in environmentalism, in law, in politics, in education, in um, you know, I don't know, city infrastructure and architecture. Like when we have all of this consciousness of animism and life supporting life and life giving life to life, when we have that present in all of the, the myriad manifestations that is possible, then that's where we can actually grow a new system that is not foundationed in oppression, but instead foundationed in life and foundationed in integrity and respect and mutual collaboration and interdependence and context and relationship. 
So that's what I look at of like, not everyone has to be a practitioner. Not everyone should be a practitioner. I don't want a world full of spiritual practitioners because then nothing else would get done. And it becomes this weird, you know, I also look at, you know, we can say the same thing about spiritual practices that we, that people talk about with like engineers, for example, where people who are engineers have a very specific type of brain that makes them really great at engineering. And if they keep just hanging out with other engineers, eventually that gets narrower and narrower and narrower because they're all, they're going really deeply in this one vein. So the things that they're developing, are they actually relevant to the rest of the context to the 99 other percent of people who are not engineers, right? Same with spiritual practitioners. If spiritual practitioners only come together and only hang out and talk with other spiritual practitioners, we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into the realms of consciousness and lose sight of what is actually useful in the rest of the world. So I think it is very, very important of like, you know, for people who are not practitioners of draw from this well and learn your practices and cultivate your energy and learn how to regulate your field and learn your energetic responsibility so that you can, um, you know, regulate your psychic centers and have protection and be stay grounded in your body and regulate your nervous system, etc. And go out in the world and be that and infuse everything else that you're doing with that. And then also a reminder for those of us who are practitioners to not lose touch with the rest of what it means to actually be a human in the world and not go all, you know, whitewashing, spiritual whitewashing, spiritual bypassing, light and love this shit. Like, don't forget why we're here. Because if we forget, if we forget what we're here to serve and who we're here to help, we're just going to become completely useless as we're off, like navel gazing into how great we are at being conscious people. And that is ultimately not why we're here. We're here to serve. We're here to participate. We're here to heal. We're here to uplift and inspire and educate and support everyone in this emergent consciousness. Mm. It's so good. Oh, I could talk for 30 more minutes about what you just said, because that's actually how I accidentally fell into this work that I'm doing now, where I just saw people going and drinking ayahuasca over and over and over and over, and then not actually making any changes and not actually integrating it and not taking any actions in their life to bring the medicine back to, quote, reality here on planet Earth. And that's what a lot of people forget, especially, you know, people whose patterning might be like, well, I'm just in the spiritual clouds. I'm in 5D. I'm, I don't even want to be associated on Earth. But, you know, you're here embodied on Earth, whether you like it or not. And and we're, I do believe we're here for a reason. And it's like, well, what's the use of all of this? If it's just a gigantic spiritual bypass, which, by the way, happens a lot in the medicine space, which is a whole other episode. And it's true. It's like, well, this the whole point of any of this, the medicine, the healing work, it's like we, we have to remember we are here incarnated on, on Earth for that reason to bring it back in the day to day. Um, so, yeah, it's not just about go take mushrooms every weekend or drink ayahuasca every other week and things will be okay. It's like, no, there's actual work to do and showing up. So <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it. That was great. Well, Michelle, let's hear about what you have going on in the next, you know, six to 12 months this year. What's on the radar and um, where can people find you and how can people work with you? Mm, thank you. Yeah. So my, again, the shamanic practice is asking for center stage. So I mentor and train people in shamanic practices, both as 
people who are merging into their professional practice, but also for people who don't want it for the professional practice, but want it for themselves. So supporting people in animistic, ethical shamanism, I do this one-on-one, and then I also have a shamanic temple membership that I offer with my shaman sister, Catherine Bird, who is my co-host of the podcast, Shaman Sister Sessions. So we have uh, that membership that has monthly classes and has community circles, and then also serving psilocybin. That information is on my website. Um, I currently have a couple of ceremonies a year that I'm offering as group ceremony experiences, but that is also an option if someone wants to come sit with me one-on-one or put a ceremony together, then I I can do something that's not currently on the calendar. So again, supporting people in shamanic practice for themselves and for their profession. And then, yeah, the podcast, Shaman Sister Sessions, Um, my website is michellehawk.com. I think that's all going to be in the information, but yeah, please do reach out to me if this resonates with you and you feel called. I, I also have a bunch of other ways to engage with me for different free classes that I offer. And I, again, I'm just following the spirit, the, the flow of what spirit is asking me to put out. So I recently did a, a little class series on ethical shamanism and we'll see if that continues or doesn't again it's all in the organic flow awesome thank you so much this has been so great it's so great to touch base with you and hear about what's going on and explore this a lot further and yeah we'll have all your links right here in the show notes thank you so much michelle for doing the work that you do in the world especially more than anything and sharing your medicine Mm, Thank you, Beth. This was so great. Yeah, obviously, we could talk for a very long time about this, but I'm so glad that we got to have this conversation. And thank you for doing what you do. It's a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you're feeling inspired, I'd appreciate it if you showed your love with a review. And check out my YouTube channel where you can find the video version of this podcast. You can also head to BethAWeinstein.com to learn more about me and grab my free business growth trainings. Remember, you carry your own unique medicine and your medicine is what we need for these times.